Now this morning I'm going to introduce a two-part message on grief. Today we focus on the hope that there is on the other side of our grief or even permeating our grief and uh, next Sunday I'll be passing on tips on just how to empathise with people who are grieving so that um, we'll know exactly what to say or what not to say or not to say anything at all and just let people grieve because grief grief takes time and it's not solved just in an instant but more about that later. Grief can hit us at any time. We just never know when that's going to come. Grief invades our expectations because we are designed, we have an instinct that we're going to live forever. Especially in our 20s and 30s when we're indestructible or through our teens when nothing can harm us but sadly the road toll and the suicide statistics belie that. Because God has made us in his image, all of us, everybody we know and all the people we don't know. We're made in that image of God. And when grief hits, when we lose somebody special, maybe unexpectedly, or even if there's plenty of warning, we still feel a little bit cheated. That sense of anger or vague feeling of uncertainty, it shakes us in that sense of confidence. That confidence is part of God's image within us, but it's blurred by sin, and grief highlights how blurred this image can be. But one thing, grief never leaves us where it finds us. It can make us bitter, and that can be a very common experience even for Christians. We can feel angry that, you know, there are still people I know who have had incredible ministries in great effectiveness who have just been taken for no apparent reason. A lingering illness wiped out a friend of mine with a ministry into high-level sports and entertainment, into the outback, ministry into Aboriginal children, creating hope where there was none and he wasted away with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, I think it's called, but such a waste and you've got to wonder. God knows best but the questions remain. If we continue to focus on the loss and can't find out why, it's very easy for bitterness to take root or anger or that God doesn't know what he's doing. Now, we all feel some of that. You know, I'm not half a metre above that level myself, and Ian, you would know people similarly. You know, missionaries, they've just been wasted. And we hear it happening in different parts of the world where missionaries and Christians have just been wiped out for no reason whatsoever other than hatred and fear and distortion. Grief can make us bitter if we lock on to that. But grief can also make us better as we learn to let go who or what we've lost, who or what we can't keep. Grief can make us better if we recognise there are limits 
to our influence with other people. We cannot control them. Our family members, our children, we can't control them. We can love them and respond to their love. But in loving them, we have to learn to let them go, to let them grow. It's not just people. It's also, um, I'll just go back a little. It's the loss of a job, the loss of a career. Years ago, when the Earth's crust was still forming, I was working for a living uh, as an employment counsellor. And the work scene was so much more stable. Kids could go through school, do an apprenticeship or a degree, take up training, and they could guarantee that that work would be with them until they were given a gold watch, you know, 30, 40, 50 years later. Those days have gone. (coughs) Technological change has taken over in so many ways. Robots are doing the work that so many factory workers used to do. The robots have no union. And as my dad used to say, robots aren't going to buy the things they produce. You know, people are being shut out. And when robots take over middle management jobs, there's going to be a lot more anxiety. But as we learn to let go and let God, we can start to celebrate his greatness as we recognise how limited our knowledge and our power is. This is not to reduce us in our significance, but for us to reshift our focus so that we start to see how great God's care and the infinite power that he has, but the intimate care that he places within us. There's a limit to our knowledge, despite the incredible rash of information that's just exploding all over the world. You know, the instant communication, the instant information that's available. I had, a, I had a career selling encyclopedias which lasted two whole weeks. <laughs> I didn't sell any. That's why, that's why I was offered a chance to try a different sort of work. But you know, when you think of the volume sets of encyclopedias and now uh, a USB stick and plugged into a computer or there's the vast amount of knowledge that's available at the flick of a switch... At least encyclopedias didn't have batteries to wear out. But as we look at how God views knowledge, we can start to relax. Because when we look at the Bible, we see the view of knowledge as not just stored information or academic detachment, but responsibility for the knowledge we have. And there is knowledge that uh, God has that he shares with us that we're responsible for. This brings conviction, the need for us to respond to the information we get, whether it's a conviction of sin that we need to confess and let go of, whether it's a conviction that God is placing within us a vision to do something that will change people's lives. And it's not just There's no good just storing that level of information. We have to work and act on it. Like As the Bible says, faith without works is what? Dead. To think that we could have the knowledge of why some people die. I mean, sometimes a coroner's investigation will will recognise what's caused it. But 
for us to actually have that knowledge of deciding when people will die. That's an incredible burden. And this is why life and death issues of wartime carry such a residue of anxiety, post-traumatic stress disorder, where people in uniform have to decide whether somebody in their sights is going to live or die. It's an incredible ordeal to on-the-spot thinking, the reflex is to shoot. But the reflection afterwards causes so much angst. And the debriefing that soldiers need after wartime experience can't be minimised. I guess in some ways after World War I and World War II, the war had been so general that everybody knew what it was like. And they all got together to build something for a new world. The Snowy Mountains scheme in the late, in the 50s and 60s and into the early 70s is a classic case where previous enemies were working together in engineering something for the good of a new nation. And our immigration program from the ravaged war-torn areas of Europe where people could make a new start here in Australia, build a new nation and start to discover harmony and trust. You know, it's an incredible testimony to this country that we've been so enriched. This church is a classic case of so many different racial groups being represented. This is what I want to bring out in a couple of weeks' time as we revisit Pentecost. Now, I'm not going to turn you into a bunch of Bapticostals, but <laughs> just to celebrate the diversity but the harmony that God brings. It could easily destroy us if we try to carry such levels of responsibility. See, we need to give God room. Room to help us step out of the tunnel of the pain of our perspective. And his perspective is wider and deeper than what we can embrace when we're going through pain whether we're going through personal pain or carrying the load for others, and I'll touch on that next week. Yet, though it's wider and deeper, it's focused on Jesus himself because he's the one who's experienced death for all of us and for everybody else in the world. And so every time we pray, no matter how deep our pain may be, We're talking to somebody who knows what death is personally in a way that we can't yet know. Letting go is a big lesson. In life, it's a constant process. In education, letting go one level of learning to move to a higher level, into a wider level. In our work, I've touched on the technological change or the opportunities for um, promotion. In my experience of industrial chaplaincy, where people have been promoted off the floor to supervisory positions, there's grief because they're no longer just rubbing shoulders with workmates or colleagues. They now have to start giving orders. And there's a limit to their camaraderie where somebody has to take a little bit of more responsibility. 
And the relationship adjustments can be pretty traumatic. Who does this fellow think he is? Well, somebody thought he was worth, you know, you've got to win your way, sort of re-establish the trust and different communication. There's grief involved with that. And in our families, as parents, we have to learn to let our kids go so that they can grow. And when we have more than one child, it, it's a bit of a challenge because we have to learn what to let go for some that we can't let go yet for others. How to let it go, when to let it go, it's uncharted water because our kids are all different. We love them to the same degree, but we have to respect their differences and help them to respect each other's differences, but to know that love and that harmony all the way through. We have to learn to let go so that we can embrace what's ahead, whether we know what it is or whether it's totally in the dark. But that's where our faith comes in. Because in death, we take a step that's beyond anything we've known before. But as the scripture says, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor mind conceived, what God has prepared for those who love him. We can't even imagine Next week I'll talk about funerals, which are basically a recognition of somebody's value and a recognition that with reverence and with dignity we are disposing of something which somebody no longer needs. Because we go through life in a kind of a temporary package. And as we get older we realise just how temporary that package is. It accumulates wrinkles and all sorts of stuff that we won't go into too much biological detail but despite the fact that we can't even imagine how good it is I'm going to try to stimulate your imagination with three stories first one's called a hard time in heaven now we know the man's name but We've got no idea of anything that he's ever said. Can you imagine having a hard time in heaven? I want to stretch your imaginations. I tell you, I'm not happy. And I've got good reasons. If you can imagine dipping your toe into the most inviting, refreshing waterhole you've ever seen and then finding out that you can't dive in and start swimming you'd have an idea of how I feel. Oh, in my house. More than I could ever imagine. Set in a beautiful garden with room to stretch out, the most comfortable furniture and fittings, all mine with no mortgage. I've been here less than a week just getting to know my neighbours. Everybody's so friendly and some of them have changed history. I was looking forward to hearing all their stories, but now I won't be able to. The food here is to die for. Like that one? But now the pressure is on me to pack up and leave. Got any idea who it is yet? We'll just keep going, okay. Not that I feel unwelcome, far from it. 
There are doctors, police and even a few lawyers. All unemployed because there's a complete absence of sickness, crime or suspicion and nobody even thinks about locking their doors. Can I fully describe a visible surging radiance of love and compassion that washes across the sky and sidles up to caress you with freshness when you least expect it? People have actually told me of travelling to distant stars without expending any energy at all. They've arrived there as soon as they've thought of their trip. Can you walk away from a possibility like that? I don't think so. How could anyone leave a place that's so filled with such unbelievable music? When I first heard the deep rumbling, it sounded like thunder. Then I looked up and the sky was as clear as it could be. I listened more carefully and found that this rhythm was responding to bird calls as a blend of deep-throated sighs and quiet, pulsating noises that started vibrating from under my feet to swell through the whole forest. This background chorus was coming from within the trees themselves in harmony with the melodies that the birds were weaving through the branches over my head. Then as I left the forest, I felt the breeze wafting towards me, creating waves that rippled across the meadow from hills that were blue in the distance. As the grass and the wildflowers caught the breeze, they started swaying all around me with a sweet, purring sound that surged and faded in time with each wave. As if I'm surrounded by an orchestral choral celebration of harmony that's infused with a gentleness and a strength that I can almost reach out and touch. It's not just how amazingly good these last few days have been. I just don't want to be reinserted in all the dust and pettiness that I left behind. I know people have accused me of getting up their noses, but they've got no idea of the fragrances that have wrapped themselves around me since I left them behind. Got any idea who it is yet? I see if you... Did I hear? Lazarus it is. Here I am suffering from lack of stress. It's like I've finally completely understood and beginning to understand myself but now it looks like re-entry time. After a lifetime of being stuck between my two sisters, I'm not thrilled about going back into their gauntlet. I thought I'd finished with their bickering, but they never agree on anything. How would you like to face treatment from Martha, where it's her way or the highway, or from Mary, where you know the lantern's on, but it's hard to know if she's really at home? The only one who achieved anything like a ceasefire between them was our Galilean friend. And now that I can tell he's choking back tears, I recognise his voice calling me, Lazarus, come out. I tell you, I'm not happy about it, but now I have to get back into that cramped outfit in the cold, clammy darkness, back to a bunch of people who left me for dead. Just when I was starting to enjoy all this beauty and the laughter on this side of the grave. You know, when we sort of want people not to be gone, when you think about it, would you really want to wish them back? Would, would they want to be back? Don't wish them back. 
Because along with all the thoughts that were going through Lazarus' mind, I've imagined them and I hope you've caught the picture. Lazarus came back to life under death threat from the scribes and Pharisees because that miracle really got them upset about how Jesus' power was showing them up and they didn't like it. Don't wish people back. They are enjoying more than we can ever imagine. I've tried and I hope you've caught the picture. Second story is, wow, I almost never got here. I never had any practice of being good or being anywhere near good people unless they were in my way or had what I wanted. Barabbas taught my brother Zeke and me all about breaking laws and we were quick to learn. But here I am and I'm still pinching myself. I recall my legs being viciously smashed but I don't even limp now as I stroll along streets where the values run totally counter to all I was ever taught by Barabbas. Gold was once more important to me than anything else. But here it's so unimportant they use it for building roads. Sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself because I want to tell you how I was up so close and personal on the day that's changed the whole course of history. Three of us stood against the sky that day while the crowd jeered at our agony. Most of their abuse was hurled at the one between Zeke and me, coming from a cluster of religious leaders in all their fancy robes. They were thrilled that he was dying, beaten to a pulp, to disrupt them no more. Isn't it strange how religious types overlook their own hypocrisy? They'll die for their beliefs, but they will kill or arrange for the killing to protect those beliefs. They'd obviously framed this man through a cunning mix of politics and religion because despite my excruciating pain, my street smarts could see no trace of guilt or cover-up about him. Peering down through a strange daytime darkness, I noticed the obvious execution attendance regulars, and this time it was our blood they were baying for. Those I was expecting were nearby, the families and friends of our victims. Some appeared vindictive eye-for-an-eye types. Others, relieved to see us punished, were drawing some closure at the justice being done. Still others knowing that our deaths would not bring their loved ones back, silently wept at seeing more human life wasted. The Roman executioners, they were experienced, they were efficient, they were cynical and clinical. They were alert to any disturbance. Yet a small group of men and women with the most reason to disrupt everything simply gaped up at their leader. Their red-eyed weeping was the grief of total helplessness with no sense of any direction at all. Crucifixion was a prolonged and incredible, brutal way to be executed. Having our feet and hands nailed to wooden beams and being raised vertically introduced us to unremitting pain. Trying to lift the weight from our feet by pulling down on our hands produced searing agony through our whole upper bodies as our heads throbbed and our legs cramped. Shifting back onto our feet, transferred the pain right up through to our hips. Yet to relax again was to relieve the previous upper body torture. 
with sweat stinging into our eyes, flies out of their own indifferent, incessant irritation. Twitching and writhing, we tried to scream for relief or understanding until deep breaths became increasingly difficult. Our physical agony continued, now overlaid by the onset of gasping panic as suffocation took its inevitable hold. Zeke felt cheated about the mob choosing Darabas to go free instead of the man between us who was being mocked as a messiah. So he echoed the abuse. If you're the messiah, save yourself and us. Yes, we'd been arrested along with Barabbas, but Zeke was way off target. We're getting what we deserve. This man is innocent, I gasped across at him before turning to my right. Jesus, remember me when you enter your kingdom. He could reach no closer, but his fingers gestured towards me and I felt the disarming warmth of his glance as he hoarsely whispered in reply, I tell you truly, today you'll be with me in paradise. Soon afterwards, he yelled something about being completed that I couldn't understand. Then he slumped forward and he was gone. Those religious types wanted Zeke and me to be dead before sundown, so they ordered the soldiers to snap our legs. Talk about hypocrisy. No execution residue was going to spoil the festival the next day. Then suddenly I was here, just as Jesus promised. And now I've had no time to qualify as their equal. I'm now on first-name terms with people who plugged into God's grace and changed the course of history. Just think... If the mob had chosen Jesus to go free, Barabbas would have been executed between Zeke and me. I would never have met Jesus or even received his offer to be here. Isn't that amazing? And that reflection came to me as I thought of the grace of God. Here was a petty thug who had nothing to offer, pleading, for a place in heaven, Jesus said, yes. It's never too late. And nobody is less qualified than anyone else for this grace. And I recall a time when I was in Colac, commuting from Geelong, because I was working two days a week at the church. I'd called in at our um, music convener to talk about the music for the following service on the Sunday. I think it was a Wednesday afternoon, but that's irrelevant. She was on the phone to a friend of hers. She put the phone down and uh, said how Jenny's dad was in hospital dying. And I suddenly felt I should turn back to the hospital once we worked this out. And I got to the hospital room and it was very gloomy. The hospital was earmarked for demolition and replacement. But there was a whole cluster of people I'd never met before apart from Jenny. And there was Jack, her dad, comatose. And Jenny said, Dad, this is Noel, he's Ruth's pastor. Now, Jack was just there. The peripheral shutdown where blood flow stops to hands and feet and decreases through outer limbs was well and truly underway. cold to touch. I never thought of that line 
uh, if you can hear me, squeeze my hand. Well, his hands weren't working. I didn't know what to say until I thought of that verse from Psalm 23 about the Lord taking us through the valley of the shadow of death. I just said, Jack, I know you can hear me. I know you can't respond. But the shepherd is here for you. I didn't know what else to say. I thank the family for allowing me to come in. I went out with Jenny and her husband. Just a couple of minutes later, one of their family came out and said, Dad's gone. Now, I don't know if Jack actually made it, but I found out later that he'd been in the British Army as a commando and the British Army had compulsory church services and that verse would have been a regular feature of any service of a funeral. So, again, without knowing what to do, God was there using a plain vanilla fellow like me. And we just never know what impact we can have even in our weakness. Because the Lord perfects his strength in whatever weakness we have as we open up to him. There's also a special irony about this whole event of um, this penitent thief. Because when Pilate asked the crowd, who do you want to be released, Jesus or Barabbas? Now the rumour is that Barabbas' name was also Jesus. And the word Barabbas means son of the father. How close was the call? And just imagine if the mob had chosen Jesus to go free. He would have had no show at all. There's another story I'd like to read to you from somebody I've never met and you now haven't met. It's called I've Never Known Anything But Love. This might sound hard to believe, but I've never done anything wrong. True, I did get to a stage where I started pushing my mother around, but I was never a teenage rebel. Not that she complained, though I couldn't understand it back then. It was almost like she appreciated it. But that kind of behaviour was nipped in the bud when the first angel crossed my path. I wasn't prevented from meeting someone so big and powerful, yet so weightlessly gentle. I felt surrounded and infused with a brilliant radiance that bathed my eyes and my heart with reassurance. It was an unforgettable introduction to a new dimension of limitless beauty that still catches my breath. Angels have become my best friends. They've proved their care for me and I see them protecting people all over the world. And they're so much fun to hang around with. Even though they tell me how they serve God across the universe, They've never tried to make me feel inferior in any way. We share such a joy and an honesty that's totally transparent, like we can see right through each other, but without any fear because none of us has anything to hide. So the harmony and love and respect just keep building. I've never known anything but love. From the moment of my conception, my parents' love and God's love, for the whole comfort of being formed by God's grace and drawn into his complete understanding of who I am and the reason for my being here. And nothing has interrupted that whole scenario. 
I have to confess that I didn't fulfil my parents' expectations. Yet despite the depth of their disappointment or any guilt that tried to fasten itself onto that disappointment, I've never doubted their love for me. I probably deflated other people's dreams because I never tried out for any sports or attempted to learn music and I didn't even bother with any formal education. You might ask how I've maintained this perfect relationship with God. But please don't feel resentful or envious about what might sound like a charmed existence. For you've been blessed in ways that I can only guess at or maybe envy you for. Maybe it's enough to say that I was still bored. Now that little imaginary story came to me as I was met at the speedway gate by one of the security guards who said, there's a family here who've just lost their stillborn baby. I went over to them in the crowd and talked it over. Now there had to be a coroner's inquiry and all the best of it. And I offered to help in any way that I could, but you know, words can be so glib or empty. I gave them my card and uh, a couple of weeks later I got a phone call to say, the undertaker's coming to our house tomorrow afternoon, could you look after the service? Well, you'd need a couple of days to prepare thoughts, what to say, what not to say. And I, I said, well, yeah, I'll be there, no worries. And that night the thought came to me that this little fella had known nothing but love as a bridge across into their own emotional turmoil. They knew that they'd done nothing wrong, but still grief had invaded what looked so promising. Now they had no church home. Their anticipation had been hijacked by pain and shock and it was palpable. But as we think about the loss that we just can never explain or even begin to understand, we recognise that faith in Jesus doesn't replace the grief, that it distills the grief and turns it into empathy, understanding for others who grieve because God is with us. And next week... Please stay tuned because I'll be sharing a few thoughts of just how to help people deal with different types of grief and just emphasise God's presence in that pain. Let's pause to pray. Loving God, we thank you that you understand all there is about us and so much more. Thank you for the insights that you give us. Thank you for the promise that we have that one day, however soon or however far away that day may be, we will be with you, totally set free in a dimension of your grace we struggle to imagine. In the meantime, Lord, help us not to be so preoccupied with our own pain, although you'll touch us with that and you'll touch us within it. But we might be more aware of how your grace works within us so that we can be better able to help others who grieve with no sense of hope at all. So we thank you for your presence with us now. We pray your guidance with greater sensitivity, yet greater confidence and humility as we launch into the rest of this week. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thanks so much for tuning in to the Mooney Ponds Baptist Church Podcast. Here we upload our weekly teachings that happen every Sunday at our 10 a.m. service. If we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out to us. And check out our website at mpbc.org.au.